Beginning in the 1910s and continuing through the 1920s, more than 3,000 young women jumped on a new and unusual work opportunity, painting glow-in-the-dark numbers on dials of watches, clocks, and military equipment. The digits glowed because the paint contained radium, and the women were delighted to work for such a prestigious company. They were all paid $40,000 a year, which at the time was sensational. But little did they know that their work would come back at a steep price. Their health quickly declined, and ultimately, some lost their lives. With the beginning of these gruesome side effects, the women began a race against time to fight for justice that would forever change the United States' labor laws. Today, we will discuss the use of radium, why it was so popular, how the employees got sick, and what's to make of the old radium factory today. This is the story of the Radium Girls and New Jersey's radioactive neighborhood. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. The radium craze began in 1898 when French physicists Maria and Pierre Curie, two of the most prominent pioneers in researching radioactivity, and their associate Henri Beckel discovered the element. Maria Curie was born on November the 7th, 1867 in Warsaw, Poland, and died on July the 4th, 1934 in France. She was a Polish-born French physicist famous for her work on radioactivity and a twice winner of the Nobel Prize. Now, although Maria was born in this Warsaw tenement right beside me, she ultimately elected to leave for France, where it was thought and later proven that the educational institutions were progressive enough to embrace the ideas of a female physicist. Not only was she the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, but she was also the only woman to win the prize in two different fields. These two fields included physics and chemistry. Her husband, Puri, was born on May the 15th, 1859 in Paris, France, and died on April the 19th, 1906. Puri was educated by his father, a doctor in mathematics and geometry, at the age of 14. In the spring of 1894, Puri met Marie and their marriage on July the 25th, 1895, marked the beginning of a world-famous scientific achievement with the discovery of polonium and then radium. The use of radium skyrocketed and many considered it a miracle element. It was used successfully in cancer treatment even though its properties were not known well. Later, it was introduced to various commercial products such as toothpaste, tonic water, and cosmetics. But most certainly, radium became most famous for its luminous, glow-in-the-dark feature that became prominent in military watches. This feature allowed for time to be read in the dark. At the onset of World War I, several factories were established across the United States to produce watches and military dials painted with a material containing radium. This essential ingredient was approximately one million times more active than uranium. Perhaps the most well-known factory site where this work was being done was located in Orange, New Jersey and was operated by the United States Radium Corporation. Founded in 1914 in New York City by Sabin Arnold, 
Arnold von Sashiki and Dr. George S. Willis. The company produced luminous paints and other radium products for military and medical purposes from 1917 to 1926 and marketed their bright color under the brand name on dark. This product was a blend mix of glue, water, and radium powder that was applied to the watch faces and airplane cockpit dials. With World War I came the demand for dials, watches, and aircraft instruments painted with luminescence paint. So with that in mind, as many as 300 young women worked as dial painters at their neighborhood U.S. Radium Corporation plant. The luminous material was furnished to each dial painter one at a time in small tubes, approximately one to two grams each. This mixture ordinarily got on the hands of the young woman when mixing, and unfortunately the painters ingested the radioactive substances in a way as a part of their job. You see, initially, the painter's fine brush was rinsed in a glass of water, and then it was common to use one's mouth to point the end of the paintbrush for precision. However, the water was soon taken away as the company felt it wasted too much material. At peak production, nearly 55,200 dials were created per year by each dial painter. Some of the early painters ingested vast quantities of radium as they were actually instructed to use their lips to bring their paintbrushes to a fine point. When they asked about radium safety, their managers assured them that they had nothing to worry about. Until 1920, the dial painters were allowed to eat at their workstation without even washing their hands. And perhaps exacerbating the situation, the young women painted their nails, teeth and faces with paint for fun. The women hired to paint dials became known as quote ghost girls because the radium dust to which they were exposed daily made their clothing, hair and skin glow. Many of the women wore their best dresses on the job so the fabric would shine brilliantly when they went out dancing after work. And it should be emphasized here that at that time no one really knew that radium was dangerous. Oddly, the effects of radium weren't publicized at the time, especially since Marie Curie herself suffered radiation burns while handling it, and eventually she died from radiation exposure. Her husband once said that he couldn't bear sharing a room with even a kilogram of the substances because he was afraid it would blind him and burn his skin off. Other researchers working with radium also perished, and it wasn't long before the employees, also known as the radium girls, began to experience the physical ravages of their exposure. The first issue occurred with Amelia Maggia, who painted watches for the U.S. Radium Corporation. Her first symptom was a toothache, which required the removal of the tooth. Soon, the tooth next to it also had to be extracted. Painful ulcers, bleeding, and pus-filled abrasions developed where the teeth had been. The mysterious illness spread throughout her mouth and her lower jaw, which then had to be removed. And as grotesque as this already is, sadly, the illness spread into the other parts of her body. She died on September the 12th, 1922, of a massive hemorrhage. Doctors were puzzled about what caused her condition, and they determined that she had died of syphilis. The dial painters and other workers were aware of their deteriorating health conditions as early as 1917. However, it took the medical authorities until the mid-1920s to document this travesty because the U.S. Radium Corporation executives urged doctors to attribute deaths to causes other than radiation poisoning. 
Syphilis was often cited for smearing the reputations of the female workers. In fact, the men wore aprons to protect themselves from the radiation, while the women were given nothing. Supposedly, the company required this difference because the male engineers were handling huge bundles of raw material, while the girls were never exposed to more than a very small amount in one sitting. The women were repeatedly told that radium was safe, and many didn't argue because, for the time, the work was extremely well paid. These ladies felt lucky to be working in the radium dial factories. The dangers of radium were unknown to the public, even though some executives and scientists in the industry were increasingly aware and protecting themselves in the factories where the women worked. There were several symptoms from the effect of radium that the girls suffered. Dentists were the first to begin seeing numerous problems among the dial painters. So-called radium jaw was a condition of dental pain, loose teeth, lesions and ulcers, also failure of tooth extractions to heal. Dial painters frequently suffered from the suppression of menstruation and even sterility. If pregnant, they were prone to stillbirths or terminations of the pregnancy as the doctors would not permit the development of the fetus. Additionally, there were extreme deformities in body structure, fractures, and shortening of limbs. For example, before Magia's death, her jaw fell away from her skull. While one of her colleagues suffered a total collapse of her vertebrae, others developed skin cancer, cataracts, throat cancer, and other symptoms of long-term radiation exposure, such as loose teeth and hair loss. By 1924, 50 women who had worked at the plant were ill, and a dozen had died. In growing numbers, other radium girls became deathly ill, and for years their employer denied any connection between the girl's death and their work. Of course, at the urging of the companies, workers' deaths were attributed by medical professionals to other causes. Supervisors assured the girls that they were safe on a daily basis. In 1927, five years after her symptoms began, a bank teller and former dial painter named Grace Fryer filed suit against the U.S. Radium Corporation in New Jersey. She decided to sue even though it took her two whole years to find a lawyer willing to take on the Radium Corporation. And in 1927, attorney Raymond Berry agreed to accept their case. Before the hearing, the company finally commissioned an independent study of the matter which concluded that painters had died from radium exposure. Refusing to accept the report's findings, the company commissioned additional studies that came to the opposite conclusion. The public continued to assume that radium was safe. The radium girls fought back even though they knew that their days were numbered, but they wanted to do something to help their colleagues still working with the deadly substance. The hearing took place, the media covered the ensuing litigation, and the term radium girls became known worldwide. Fryer was joined in action by four other ill factory workers, Edna Hussman, Catherine Schaub, Quinita McDonald, and Albina Lloris. At their first court appearance in January of 1928, the two were bedridden and none could raise their arms to take an oath. Grace, who was unable to walk, required a back brace to sit up straight. The women were too ill to attend the next hearing, which was pushed to April at the U.S. Radium's urging. The judge adjourned the case until September because several U.S. Radium witnesses were vacationing in Europe. National outrage over the heartless delay erupted in the media, prompting the courts to reschedule for early June. 
days before the trial and out-of-court settlement was reached. Despite U.S. Radium's contention that the statute of limitations exonerated them of liability after two years, the women reluctantly accepted the offer as they were not expected to live much longer. Each woman agreed not to hold the U.S. Radium Corporation liable and was given a measly $10,000 and $600 per year well living in addition to paying for all the medical expenses incurred. Not surprisingly, few of the annual fees were collected. The last of the five radium girls died in the 1930s. Later medical research found that the dial painters had ingested a few hundred to a few thousand microcuries of radium per year. Today, the maximum safe exposure is considered to be one-tenth of a microcurie. The courage of these women to take legal action against their employer and subsequent hearings and national media attention led to changes in regulations governing safety standards. It established occupational disease labor law. It required safety precautions and protective gear for radium dial painters, as radium paint was still used on dials as late as the 1960s. Congress eventually passed a bill in 1949, making all occupational diseases compensatable and extended the time for workers to discover illnesses and file claim. The number of people who were sickened or killed by Ondark and similar radioactive pigments over the years is unknown, but it is estimated that approximately 4,000 women died across the country as a result of working as dial painters over several decades. Thanks to the Radium Girls effort and the ensuing improvements in industry safety, countless others were spared a dreadful fate. The preservation of the radium girls and their courage to challenge the U.S. Radium Corporation, even as they were dying, set a precedent in a case for the right of individual workers to sue employers for damages caused by labor abuse. In the wake of their legal battle, industrial safety standards were enhanced by passing federal laws that made occupational diseases compensatable and extended the time to which workers could discover illnesses to make claims. Furthermore, data developed from the experiences of these unfortunate young women was instrumental in setting new radium tolerance levels for researchers and workers. Before the Occupational Safety and Health Administration was set up, 14,000 people died on the job every year. Today, the number falls to around 4,500. It also warrants mentioning that the women left a legacy to science, which has been termed valuable when it comes to our understanding of these matters. After the trial, several scientific studies began to take place on the effects of radium. A doctor named Harrison Martland devised tests that proved that radium had poisoned the women once and for all. The doctor also explained what was happening inside of their bodies. And according to him, as early as 1901, it had been evident that that radium could harm humans dramatically when applied externally, but when ingested internally, even in a tiny amount, the damage was many thousands of times greater. Therefore, ingested radium had subsequently settled in the women's bodies and was emitting constant destructive radiation that deteriorated their bones. It was essentially boring holes inside of them while they were alive. The Center for Human Radiology was established in 1968 with the primary purpose of providing medical examination for living dial painters. The project also focused on collecting information
information and, in some cases, tissue samples from the radium dial painters. When the project ended in 1993, detailed information on 2,403 cases had been collected. This led to a book on the effects of radium on humans. The factory site in Orange, New Jersey is known to have traces of radiation due to the legacy of an earlier and more naive era, where a vast abundance of radium was used. However, officials say the radiation levels are not dangerous to the workers at the electric companies now on the land where the Radium Corporation once stood. In consideration of the significance of what happened here, the U.S. Radium Corporation site was determined to be significant and eligible for listing in the National Register of Historic Places in 1997. At that time, two of the most important buildings of the business remain. The Paint Application Building and the Radium Crystallization Laboratory. In 1980, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection found radium levels at the site of up to 50 microcuries per liter versus the average background level of just 0.3. In addition, surface testing revealed highly contaminated soil with 200 to 300 picocuries per gram with high nods of up to 5,000 per gram. So in 1983, the U.S. radium property was designated as a Superfund site and remediation of the area began in 1997 and lasted nine years. During this period, the two remaining buildings were demolished as a part of the cleanup and to remove radiological contamination and soil to a depth of 15 feet. The New Jersey Historic Preservation Office required documentation of the structure before its demolition. These buildings were simple, concrete block structures with rectangular floor plans. Both were built in 1917 in a neighborhood of the late 19th century worker housing and hat factories. What's more, both were used commercially until the 1980s and had been heavily altered by additions, removal of original equipment and fixtures. Although the U.S. Radium Factory in New Jersey was the most infamous case of radium dial painting, it was far from the only one. It is estimated that by the 1920s, as many as 4,000 workers were hired at companies across the United States and Canada to paint radium dials. Radium watches would continue to be manufactured until 1968. The safety regulations were drastically improved simply because of the radium girls. Their case impacted the establishment of strict guidelines for worker safety and compensation. The court battle was an ugly one, but ultimately changed the laws for health and security forever. But you still have to wonder, did New Jersey truly clean up all of its radiation? Let me know what you think in the comments section below. Join us for new videos every Thursday and Saturday by subscribing and share our New Jersey playlist with your friends. Until next time, guys, this is Ryan Sokash signing off.